One of the things I appreciate about close friends is if you've got some close friends, like I had a, I've got several close friends that I've, I've given permission um, to ask me harder questions. These are some, some guys that I've, I've said to them very intentionally at times, I value your opinion, I value your insight, I value your wisdom, ask me the hard questions, tell me what you see. I appreciate those relationships. It's the relationship I had with Pastor Bubba, where he wouldn't just ask me questions that remained on the surface. He could, he could look in my eyes, he could see my countenance, he could see the way I carried myself, he knew me that well, that if he saw something that was off, he would dig. He had permission to dig, and he took that permission, and he would begin to dig with good questions. The kind of questions that get below the surface. Here's, a, here's an indicator for you. If you're trying to hide out from people, you always stay surfacey. If you ever want to get real, you're going to have to break through the surface. Amen? You're going to have to like, okay, enough with the surface. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of this thing. When you're tempted to say, oh, I'm blessed and highly flavored, but you're not, at the moment, you might just need to see, you know what, time out. I was going to say this, but you know what, here's the real deal. I'm not doing well right now. You want some real change in your life? Get below the surface. I want to start with a quote this morning. A good question will always make you evaluate the things laying below the surface. A good question will. A good question. One you can't worm your way out of. Sidestep. <laughs> Y'all cold yet? Yeah. Okay. Can we turn the air, the air conditioners off? Well, not off, but like raise the temperature a little bit. <clears throat> We had some complications when they're normally set, and they, they weren't set this morning. And some of you are like, but they're never set. <laughs> I, I, just, I just want to clarify so nobody uh, forms a lynch mob against me. I have nothing to do with the thermostats. <laughs> Y'all see me pass that buck? <laughs> yeah, there's other people. I'm not going to name any names. <clears throat> Today, I want to ask you some questions, and I want to start with this one. What has God done for you lately? What has God done for you lately? What has God done for you lately? You see, you are, if you're born again and you've given your life to Jesus or you're saved, you've been invited into a relationship where God is active in your life. You've been invited into a relationship with the Father of all creation. In my personal opinion, there should never be a dull moment hanging out with God. Christians should never be bored. We should be the most active, most energetic, most experienced, most storytelling people on the planet. Because we're now in a relationship with the guy who created the planet. What has God done for you lately? Paul asked a very similar question or, or questions to the Philippian church, and I want to get into that today. We're going to be in Philippians uh, most of the message today. 
Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Verse 1, listen to what Paul asked. I, I read this a bunch of times, never caught it, finally caught it this, a couple of weeks ago in a quiet time. Listen to how Paul addresses the church in Philippi. He says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? He didn't say anything about anybody else. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in his spirit? Here's another question. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? What is Paul trying to do here? He's trying to break through the surface and get into the nitty-gritty of the church's relationship with Jesus. Enough with the surface. Let's get into the meat and the bones and the potatoes of the whole thing. Come on, somebody. Like, how are you? Are you actually getting encouraged in this relationship with God? Are you finding comfort in him? Are you having fellowship together with his spirit? And is, there, is your heart tender and compassionate? He's asking a question that demands an answer. He's wanting to bring some attention. He's wanting to bring an awareness to their attitude. He sees something in their attitude that is off, and he loves them enough to address it. Any of you got any straight-talking friends? Like friends that just speak their mind? You don't always like them, but in the long term, you appreciate them. Right? Yeah. Because they're the ones that tell you that when your zipper's undone and, and, and that thing's hanging out your nose. I mean, you got to. Paul, Paul loves the church enough to address the issue and not skirt around it. I want to tell you today, the church, the church, the capital C church has never been more self-centered, distracted, unaware, and even avoiding than it's been today. It's all about me. It's all about me. And there are moments where it needs to be about you. But that needs to progress into others. You see, we have this tendency, especially as Americans, to try and take the easy way out. We'll run to some of the most convenient things right in front of us. Instead of sometimes doing the hard, discomforting work of pressing into Jesus. We'll try to go get somebody else to fix it. We'll try to get somebody else's opinion. And what's funny is, is we, we get so busy running around God that we forget to even run to God. And so we run to others before God. We get busy and try to outwork our issues. We, we have issues with our issues. <laughs> My issues got issues. <laughs> So Paul's asking a question to provoke an awareness that leads to being more like Christ. You see, what's funny about becoming unaware, and this is a word that's just kind of lingered since the beginning of the year, what's funny about becoming more unaware, or when you become more unaware, it looks like on the outside that you start to not care more. Like the more unaware you become, the more it looks like you don't care. Did that click? You, you put off something when you're unaware of all that Christ has done in your life. You're unaware of his presence in your life. You, you get into this dark place and you start to put off something that says to other people you don't care. Even though it's not true. 
So I want to tackle two tough questions today, and I want to get as practical as I can, and I want to, I want to teach you as best I can how to deal with this, how to deal with this unaware, this unawareness problem that the church seems to have. We, we run to too many other things. The first question is this, is how did we get here? How do we get into this place where I become unaware of God's presence in my life? How do I get into this place where I become unaware of God's encouragement in my life? Do you think, do you honestly believe that God's not trying to encourage you? Do you honestly believe, believe that he has an encouragement problem? Or can you open up your mind and receive the fact that maybe you have a listening problem, a receiving problem, a distraction problem, or an unawareness problem? Because you have all the encouragement you want sitting in the palm of your hands. If you've got a phone with a Bible app on it, you have all the encouragement in the world sitting in the palm of your hands. If you have a Bible in your hands, you have all the encouragement in the world found in your Bible. God has already encouraged you. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it's us. Most people don't get into this place overnight. It takes time. It's a slow drift. Life in general can be very grinding on us. Can I get an amen? Life can wear you down. I mean, the daily grind to go to work, to come back, to pay the bills, to feed the dog, to kick the cat, to do all those things. Grind, grind, grind. Don't you dare kick no cats. Cats have become one of my new favorite animals. Because cats like mice, and I don't like mice. Sometimes tragedy can cause an unawareness and a slipping away to happen suddenly. You ever have something very abruptly happen to you? Something that you weren't expecting? Something that hits you from out of nowheres? What did it do to you? It typically knocks you off of your feet, right? When my grandmother died, she, she didn't die of natural causes. She, she was 80-something, in her late 80s, still taking care of, like she said, the old people. I go take care of the old people. She was in, like, 86, taking care of the old people. My grandma didn't die because she was sick. My grandma died because she drove bad. She ran into a moving house. Yeah. My grandma hit a moving house. We should have took her license a long time ago. But that's how my grandmother died. It's funny because one day me and grandma are going to laugh about it because I'm going to pick on her when we get to heaven. So I'm not, I'm not boudeying about that anymore. She, that was, it was her time to go. She hit the house. She went to see Jesus. She's better than I am. Okay, let's move on. But when I got the news that my grandmother had died, it hit me out of the blue. It was an ab abrupt disruption to my current state. In fact, it hit me so hard, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know what to do. My uncle called. He said, hey, Bubba, Grandma just died. You probably need to get over here. I was in Jennings. She's in Franklin. I'm sitting on a tractor building Jennings High School, and I'm like, I just froze. The only person I knew to call was Pastor Bubba. Call pa Pastor Bubba. My grandma just died. What do I need to do? Well, you, where, do you, where are you at? I'm sitting on a tractor. Okay, kill the tractor. Now get off the tractor. 
Go tell your boss you need to leave that your grandma died. Okay, okay, makes sense. And then he prayed for me. And when he prayed for me, everything opened up. There are abruptions. There are tragedies that happen to all of us. And I, 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 I just hate to tell you this today, but they're not scheduled. You're not going to see them coming. And when they come, they have an agenda to knock you totally off your feet. So when these deeper issues come, we can easily find ourselves trying to numb the discomfort of it all. We, we, we don't like to feel it. We don't like sometimes the pain that's associated with it. We don't like the discomfort. We don't like the depressiveness. We don't like the sadness. And so sometimes we try to numb these things so that we don't have to feel them. And then what ends up happening is you start losing focus because now you're focusing on the numbing. You're losing focus on the solution to the thing that just disrupted your life. So we have to shift the gear today. We have to tar- start trying something different. There has to be a shift in our thinking. We have to become solution-oriented and get away from being problem-centered. Too many Christians today play with their problems for too long. So when your focus remains on the pain of the issue and not the solution, you start to spiral. Spiraling is not a good thing. You start to spiral out of control. Anybody ever have your emotions get out of control? If you're fasting this week, that might have happened to you this week. (laughs) You got a little hangry, said something you weren't supposed to say. I feel you. I thought a fast was supposed to help me. You see, what's funny about this whole thing is that when life hits you like this, when problems hit you like this, it's hard to focus. It's hard to be solution-minded. But it doesn't mean that you can't be. You have to be aware that we have a tendency to start tunnel vision. Anybody ever tunnel vision? Get so focused on your stuff that you lose awareness of what's going on around you? I've seen tragedy hit families, knock the whole family off its feet. Disoriented unfocused, the problem became the greatest thing in their life. And for a moment, that's okay. It's just not good to stay there. Because honestly, when life hits you like that, that does get very big, and it does pull for your attention and your focus. That's fine. You need to give it some attention, and you need to give it some focus, but you need to be intentional about how you do that. Amen? So tunnel vision is a problem. A tunnel, visual, tunnel vision on the problem will get you far down the tracks. The problem is it's usually the wrong track. Right? So we do all these things to numb the problem, to numb the feelings. Let me give you a definition of the word numb. To numb is to deprive a feeling, watch this next word, 
or responsiveness. So when I go into numbing, I'm saying to myself and those around me, I don't want to feel and I also don't want to respond to anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't want to feel and I don't want to respond. Just leave me alone. I'm numbing. Now, sometimes we numb consciously and sometimes we numb unconsciously. <laughs> We're not aware that we numb. You, you may be this person. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I know some people throughout my life that when they, they had issues or they had problems or they had a disruption in their life, the way they numbed was they got busy. We, we'd pick on them and call them OCD. But what they were really doing was getting so busy with their hands and so worn down in their flesh that they didn't have to feel and they didn't have to respond. So as a man, you, it may happen in a marriage. You walk into the house, you're thinking, man, it's going to be a great afternoon, a little Hallmark movie, a little hugging and kissing after that. No Hallmark movie? I don't know where else to go with that. But, but you, you got plans, and you walk in the house, and, and you open the door, and she's looking like a pinball. You're like, oh, dang. You need to pay attention to that. Something's not right about that. Now, we, I, I know people that they love to work hard. I'm not saying that everybody that works hard has an issue. And Does that make sense? Some of us will do things like binge drink, run to doctors for medicines to help anxiety and depression. We'll accept the diagnosis to justify our feelings if we're not careful. To numb is to basically do anything to keep from dealing and feeling with the pain of it all. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to feel it. I had this thought even before I wrote the message, and maybe it will resound with somebody. It doesn't make all the sense in the world to me. But if you're not careful, you'll numb so long, you'll become dumb. You'll go from numb to dumb, meaning this, that you'll get so good at numbing that you'll get dumb to what you really need to be dealing with. You'll get dumb to what's going on around you. You'll wake up one, kid, one day and your kids are graduating high school and you're going, oh, shoot, where'd they go? Where have I been? Terry, Wardle's made, Terry Wardle made this statement. He said, it's, it's like trying to quiet the fire alarm without putting out the fire first. That's what it's like when we try to numb and, and somehow cope with what we're going through. And so how did we get here? Well, you got here because you weren't ready to guard your heart. You got here because you weren't prepared for some kind of a storm to come into your life. Proverbs 4.23, one of my life verses, says, To guard your heart above all else, for it, your heart, 
determines the course of your life. If you don't like the course of your life, pay attention to the condition of your heart. You see, we need to take responsibility for our heart. And there needs to be a refusal to let our emotions run out of control. So how did we get here? One of the ways is because we live in a fallen world. Jesus never promised no problems. He just promised presence in the problems. He said, I'll be with you. And sometimes you don't see Jesus as clear as you do unless you're in the middle of a problem. So how do we get out of here? That's a good question. I'm going to give you three or four silly points. Maybe they're not silly. Three or four practical points to get out of here. Number one, you're going to need to stop, drop, and pause. Stop, drop, and pause. And some of you are going to have a real issue with this because you don't like to sit still. You don't like to pause. So the minute you realize your heart is under attack, you need to respond intentionally. You need to be prepared today for tomorrow's attack. I'll, I'll tell this side. You, you need to be ready today for tomorrow's attack. If you're trying to get ready when the situation happens, it's too late. You need to already know who I'm going to run to how I'm going to get there, what's going to need to happen when that comes at me. Because if you don't have that in the bank already, when it's going to happen to you, oh, you nobody knows what's going, to, what's going to go on with you. But if you're prepared, you have the best chance of dealing with that issue right up, the, right up front because you're ready for it. You've prepared today for tomorrow's attack. When all hell breaks loose against you on Monday morning at 8 o'clock, what are you going to do? Do you know? What you're going to do? How will you respond to tomorrow's attack? What are you going to do next time your heart comes under attack? If it didn't work last time, there's a good chance it's not going to work this time. You're born again. When you're born again, you get the mind of Christ. Come on, somebody. You're smart people. If it didn't work four, five, six times, try something different. <laughs> Amen. So you got to understand, I have to refuse to sit with the wrong things. I need to refuse to sit with old habits. How I used to deal with things didn't work then. They're not going to work now. I don't need to sit with old habits anymore. I used to respond this way. It isn't good. I need to respond a different way. I need to be prepared to respond a different way before I need to respond. Come on, somebody. You don't need to sit with old habits. Old habits make bad friends. So today I want you to discover the power of the pause. 
Well, and, and that's crazy because we live in such a fast-paced world, right? Got to be here, got to get there, got to do this, got to get there, got to be ready for this, got to get ready for this, got to go to here, got to go to and we don't stop. And then the bald-headed preacher man says, you need to learn the power of pause. And you're like, oh, what? This dude's out of touch. Not really. I've had to learn the power of pause. And I just want to tell you that pause is powerful. I'm going to let God's word speak to you. Psalms 37 verse 7 says this, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now get you some of that. God said that so you can't get mad at me. Be still. Look at your neighbor and say, be still. But you need to be still in the presence of the Lord. Ha! And wait for him to act. In fact, it said, wait patiently. Oh, but pastor, I ain't got no patience. The only way you get patience is when you're in an impatient situation. So before you run to others, you have to run to the Father. Listen to me. Before you run to anybody else, run to the Father. It doesn't matter if you're a kid, a teenager, or a full-grown adult. Before you run to anybody else, run to the Father. We're habitually in trouble because we've not tapped into the presence of God and the invitation that we've been given to come and sit with him. So because we won't go and sit with him, we don't get to discover how he deals with issues. And so we keep going to others to fix something that they're not even qualified to fix. Remember Jesus himself. What did he say? Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me. How insulting it must be for Jesus to watch us run to everything else but him. So let's break that down real quick. You need to stop, drop, and pause. Let's break that down. You need to stop. Let me, let me, I just want to make sure that you understand I have a bad habit of assuming a lot of things. I want you to stop. What does that mean to stop, Pastor? That means to, that means to not act on your raw emotions. Did, did y'all heard that? That means to not act on your raw emotions. Emotions. No more throat punches. Come on, somebody. No more throat, no more shooting rockets at your spouse. <laughs> Don't act on your raw emotions. Be proactive, not reactive. Don't respond. Don't respond. Get away, walk away, get quiet. The old timers call it get low. Get low with Jesus, get quiet. Pastor Randy would say, get under the radar. Go get with Jesus. Let him get your emotions in order. 
And then if you need to go back and deal with it, go back and deal with it. Once you gave Jesus the raw emotions, now come back with some sanctified emotions and deal with the person in front of you with some sanctified emotions. No matter what kind of emotions they may have, you need to take your emotions, bring them to Jesus, process them out with him, and then come back if he wants you to and process it out with them. Stop. Stop acting like you've always acted. Stop responding like you've always responded. It's not working. I'm going to put myself on a limb. (laughs) Yesterday, my family and I went to my brother-in-law's son's birthday, my nephew. And it comes around every year. (laughs) Did y'all know that? (laughs) It happens the same time every year. And so habitually every year, they live in Moss Bluff. We're habitually late. Now, my wife says we're right on time. I say we're late. She said the party started at 12. We pulled up at 11.59. That's late. Too much pressure. But it creates this pressure in the family. And I got a bad habit of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I start a war. That usually ends up playing out on 190 right in front of the church. I don't know why it happens in front of the church, but it happens in front of the church. And it's not until we get to kinder that we finally relax each other and can touch each other and hold each other's hand. Am I right? It's true. So yesterday we got up and I realized we're going to be late. Shocker. It's not all Cheryl's fault. So I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm bouncing around the house, man. I'm getting this done. I sent Virginia to town. Go get a card because that's usually a problem. We didn't get the card during the week. Anybody feel my pain? Like we didn't get a card during the week when we knew the birthday party was coming for a year now. And now we got to get it when we're late getting to the birthday. <laughs> so I said, Virginia, go run some eggs over there. Get a birthday card. We'll pick you up at the church. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. We're going to be early today. Wrong. 11.59. So I tried something new yesterday. She did, see, she, did, she wasn't even aware of it. That's when you know it's good. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me. So we, we got through town because it's like, I ain't fighting before the church. I'm not, not today, Satan. I'm not fighting in front of the church. So we got almost to kinder. We were somewhere zone in between Elton and kinder. And I just posed the question, and I had to get my voice right because I got this crease, and my voice gets high. And I said, hey, uh, is it possible to buy, like, a box of cards? (laughs) And poor Virginia, she had no clue. She was in the back. Oh, yeah, Daddy, you can get them on Amazon and and all that. And I was like, oh, that was a buffer. And Cheryl goes, well, yeah, babe, I guess I, I should have done that. We should have got a box of cards, and then we wouldn't have to. I said, yeah, that would, that's a pretty good idea. That way we don't have to stop on the way and get a card. And I was just kind of going. <laughs> like, you're okay? I was thinking, thank you, Holy Ghost. <laughs> I didn't act like I normally acted. So I got a different result this time. You follow me? I had to ask God to help me because I couldn't help myself. 
<laughs> when I help myself, I get in the same trouble all the time. Come on, somebody. I need supernatural help with my mouth, with my responses, with my attitude, with this crease between my eyes. I need supernatural help. Come on, somebody. So stop. Don't act in your raw emotions. Number or The second part is drop. Now, this, one, this one's going to get some of you, and you're going to want to argue inside yourself with me. Don't argue with me. <laughs> drop. So you need to stop. Don't act in your raw emotions. You need to drop. Listen to me carefully. If you're dealing with some deep issues in you, in your marriage, in your children, some issues that are deep and that are serious, those take priority over the rest of your day. I have been late to work. I have missed work to settle an issue between Cheryl and I. I called the boss. Hey, I ain't making it today. Like, I wasn't asking him. I'm like, I got a crisis, bro. Like, I, I, I ain't coming today. W what's wrong, bro? You sick? No, I ain't sick. Me and the wife ain't good. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Well, if it gets good, can you come in? Maybe, if it gets good. There's usually this makeup time afterwards. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to help. <laughs> I, I, some days you just need to pick a fight so you can make up. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so you're going to have to drop some. Listen to me. you got to keep priority in your mind. What's priority? My relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Cheryl, my relationship with my kids. Work is way down the line. I, I have to refuse to leave an open wound to go serve a job that cares less about the open wound. I may need to drop some stuff and take care of this right here. But that doesn't become my habit. I can get away with it one time, maybe twice, but if I'm a born-again believer filled with God's spirit, I need to be making progress on that. That doesn't need to be an issue anymore. I got into that issue because I wasn't ready for it in the first place, so now I got to take some time, drop some stuff to deal with it, process it out, work through it, but it doesn't become the habit of my life. So Pastor Jamie just didn't give you an excuse to miss every Monday. <laughs> drop. And then the, the third one is pause. Listen clearly. I mean to literally sit down. There's something magical that happens when you sit on your butt. There's something happens supernaturally when you sit down. It's a position of submission. It's a position of humility. It's saying that this thing, I can't stand in it any longer on my own two feet. I have to sit. There's sometimes in worship, it almost happened this morning, I just got to sit. Because I, I can't stand anymore. I just, you're going to have to sit down. Let me encourage you, find a quiet place. Sit down. Just sit down. Take a deep breath. Or 20, or 30, or 80. Take as many as you need. Just don't pass out. Take a deep breath. Tell the Father all about it. Then wait for his response. 
And if you want to, you can ask him for some scripture to help you out. Funny thing about God is he knows his Bible. <laughs> you ask him for something about what you're dealing with, he knows exactly where it's at. He's faster than Google. But you're going to have to pause. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, isn't this me-focused? Isn't this me-centered? It is. But it's not forever. It's for a moment. It's something you have to do to get through. I don't live in this place. This is not where I stay. But I know how to get here, get in, Invite the Father in, and then eventually move on. It's different for everybody. It's different according to every situation. They're all not the same, right? I'm going to give you a strange verse because the Lord told me to, and let's see how this thing lands according to this, this pause part. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. This was one of those times I said, Lord, you got a verse to go with this pause thing? With this whole stop, drop, and pause, he said, yeah, Mark 4.39. And I read it, and I'm like, that don't make sense to me. He said, keep reading it. It'll make sense. Verse 39, Jesus and his disciples were in a boat. Jesus has crashed in the back of the boat. He's sleeping. He's out cold. Storm comes, boat's sinking. Four of the men in the boat are professional fishermen. If you're in a boat with professional fishermen and they start freaking out, you better freak out. I'm just saying. The, the fishermen freaked out. Watch what happens. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. They went to Jesus with their issue. The only one who can heal. The only one who can deliver. The only one who can quiet the storm and calm the waves. They went to Jesus in the storm. Don't be surprised if Jesus is not sleeping in your storm. What did they do when they were faced with a storm? They went to Jesus. Can I just tell you today, Jesus is really good at be still. If you're having an issue being still, go to Jesus. I don't mean that in a religious way. I mean like seriously, sit down, meet with Jesus. I learned something. If I tell Jesus how I feel, how it feels, he usually responds back how he feels. Wow. He don't want me to, to, to religiousize my prayers and my requests. I don't need to King James them up. Right? That hurts. Oh, my God, Lord, I'm about to throw punch somebody. I'm, that's how I talk to him. Lord, you better come get these cheering. Oh, you better, you better come get them. So, number one, stop, drop, and pause. Number two, you're going to need to board a plane. Get on a plane. Just get on the plane, get on the plane, get on the plane. Don't matter where it's going, just get on the plane. You have to intentionally change how you look at your situation. 
You're going to have to take your eyes off of it for a minute and evaluate it from an elevated perspective. You're going to have to get higher than your problem. You have to move your position and look down on it, see it differently. I recently, Cheryl and I recently took a trip and we landed in Dallas at night. I'd never flown into Dallas before at night and I was blown away. Them people got some light bulbs. I'm like, wow, Dallas, Fort Worth area? My God, I'm glad I would not sign up for the light bulb department. I'm just telling you, that, unless I wanted an eternal job. I mean, like, it was, it was just fascinating to see the whole city, the whole, that whole area from 1,500, 2,000 feet. I don't know how high planes go, but from that perspective and go, wow. And when we landed, we text the girls, hey, we, we landed. And Virginia said, how did Dallas look from the air? And, and I had a revelation. She's never been on a plane. She has no clue what it looks like from the air. How many of you have never been on a plane? Raise your hand. Man, board the plane. Just go from Lafayette to Houston and come back. It costs you a little bit, but you're going to see a lot of stuff differently. You see, some of us are sitting in this room today, and you have a very narrow perspective of your life. You have a very, very grounded, very shallow perspective of your life. I, I want you, let's, let's do a little experiment. I want you to look around the building. Look around the building. Let's look around. See the people in the building. See the curtains. See the lights, the screens, the keys. You look back, see the people in the sound booth. You only look at them when there's a problem. So look at them while there's not a problem. And just look around and think about what you see. Okay? You're a little bit limited on what you see. Now, I'm going to show you a picture that's with a different perspective of the same thing that you're looking at right now. Watch this. There you are in that building from I don't know how many feet. It's probably out in space. It's zoomed in some, a lot. Uh, that's a different perspective. Same place. Different perspective. I showed that to somebody and they went, man, the roof's dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't notice that sitting inside, did you? That's actually, somebody else said that, that Google needs to update their, their images because there's not a building there. That's still the old rock parking lot. That's, there's still a tree in the corner up there. Right? There's no canopy on the front of the building. Building hadn't been painted. That's T-Boy driving right there. He's gotten a new car since then. That's Gerald's uncle. You see how you got a different perspective? You shouldn't sit with your problems the same way you've always sat with your problems if it ain't working. You need to get an elevated view. You need to board a plane. How do I board a plane, Pastor? Like, like that's funny and that's cute, but how do I board a plane? You see what's funny is, and I said this a little while ago, I started talking to Jesus like I would talk to my friends that I would run to. You know, you know how it is when you run to your friends and you have some issues and you talk to them? I said, one day I said, I'm, I'm going to tell Jesus how I would tell my buddy Sam. So I sat down, stopped, dropped, and paused. I sat down with Jesus, 
And I told him exactly how I would have told Sam. And the amazing part was that Jesus talked right back to me in a very plain language. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Colossians 3.2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What if you started asking the Father how he sees your situation? Instead of asking your bestie how they see your situation. Because we all got a little gangster in us. We know who's going to take our side. We know who's going to see it our way. And they're not going to help us at all. What if we went to the Father and asked him how he sees my situation? God, how do you see this problem? How do you see this situation? How do you see my circumstance? Would you tell me? We need to ask better questions. That's why point one was so important to stop, drop, and pause. It's hard to get a word when you're expecting a drive-through answer. He'll help you see what you've never seen before. He'll help you see the bigger picture. He'll help you see what's at stake. He'll help you see what's, what's hanging in the balance if you make this decision or if you make that decision. He'll help you see things that you didn't see before. He may help you see that there's something inside of you that he wants to pluck out, something that he wants to bring healing to that causes you to feel this way habitually. He may want to dig inside of you and get something. He may want to expose something about somebody else. He may help you see somebody the way you've never seen them before. How do you see it? Then you need to ask a personal question. What could I have done better to change this situation? That's a mature question to ask, by the way. What could I have done differently to change the outcome of this situation? That's a humble question. So once you see it differently and you've gained some understanding, I would encourage you to surrender it all to the Father. I sit with God sometimes, and I go, Lord, how did you see this? Lord, I just don't understand. I can't, I can't wrap my mind. My feelings are hurt. I'm offended. Lord, I just, I don't know. God, I just, I just want to run. If I'm being honest, Lord, I just want to run away. Like I, just, I don't want to ever talk to him again. I don't ever want to see him again. God, why do I feel this way, Lord? You know what I just did? I invited him into my moment, into my situation. Why? Because I don't want to live with these feelings any longer. I don't want to give them any more minutes than they deserve. I'm going to deal with them with the Father, and then we're going to move on. I'm fighting for clarity. I'm fighting for understanding. God, help me to see. I want to see like I've never seen before. Because I hate sleeping with problems. They move around too much. Come on, somebody. It's like sleeping with your kid that kicks. I used to be the kid that kicked. My grandma would let me sleep in the bed with her. She'd say, boy, you kicked me all night long. That's what it's like trying to go to bed with problems. Is this making sense? 
And then once I gain understanding and I gain perspective and I get clarity, you know what I do? I don't stop there. I surrender it to the Father. I own what's mine. I pray for what I can't control. And I surrender it all to the Father. Lord, I just I submit this whole thing to you. I don't ever want to respond this way again. Lord, I, I, I want to I be proactive, not reactive. Lord, I, I just give you this. Would you grow me? Would you mature me? Would you help me? Maybe it's, Lord, would you heal this thing inside of me? I had an insecurity issue about two years ago that I, I thought I'd, I dealt with. And, and I sat in my office one day on a Monday morning after church service. It was a great church service. And the enemy came and he was trying to make me feel insecure. I sat in my chair. I looked at the clock and I said, Lord, why do I feel insecure? Just like that. Why do I feel insecure? He revolutionized my life. He told me why. I didn't have to Google it. So Jesus loves to show you what you can't see. Number three, take the garbage out. <laughs> take the garbage out. At my house, I've got two of those big rolling cans. And I keep my, gar my garbage cans as far away from the house as possible. Like, it's, it's a bit of an exercise to get my bags to the can. Because I seriously don't like the smell of garbage. I don't like to walk a whole lot neither, but I'd rather walk than smell. So I keep the garbage way over there. So all the critters can smell the garbage, and this critter don't. I keep the garbage. Sometimes I got to walk to go take the garbage out in the rain. But I'm taking the garbage out because Cheryl said it smells bad because I can't smell as good as she does because them shrimps done went sideways. And y'all know what I'm saying. That chicken done spurt in the... Yep, you know what I'm talking about. So we're going to have to take the garbage out. We got to get better at taking, we're going to take the garbage out a little bit quicker. Just saying. But it's only half full. They got dead chicken in there, bro. Take that garbage out. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. Peter said this. Remember who you, who's, who's saying it? It's Peter. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Take the garbage out. Now, I want to I dig into this for just a minute. I probably need to speed up a little bit. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7, he said this. Peter starts with, so humble yourselves. Who's responsible to humble you? You. You humble you. If you don't humble you, God humble you. It's better for you to humble you. Humble yourself where? Under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. You have to quit being prideful with your problems. You have to quit being prideful with your problems. Everybody has problems. Everybody that's on the planet has problems. Stop being prideful with your problems. Since when has it become not okay to bring your problems to Jesus? 
Was it the man up generation that, that stopped us from bringing our problems to Jesus? What is it that's stopping us from bringing our problems to Jesus? Are we trying to, to deceive him into believing that we don't have problems? Quit being prideful with your problems. Who lied to us? Ask Jesus what to do next with your stuff. Bring it to him. He's saying that. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. He don't want you to carry your problems. He don't want you to carry your worries. He wants you to take out the garbage. It stinks. If you're smelling the chicken, you waited too long to take out the garbage. If your life's starting to stink, you should have took out the garbage a little bit sooner. Can I get an amen? Ask him what you need to do next. It may be to just forgive and pray. It may be to call a meeting and gain understanding to bring clarity to somebody or yourself. Sometimes it's to deliver a word or some kind of correction in love. But either way, bring your stuff to Jesus and then say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? What do I do next? Do you know he's the God of your next step? You don't have to take it on your own. You don't have to know what the next step is. You don't have to be prideful. And say, so, well, I got this. I got this. I got this, God. I'll come back if it don't work. You have to understand this next statement. It's more important to push the kingdom than to play with your problems. It's more important to push the kingdom than to sit around playing with your problems. Pass them on. I had these thoughts. Stay close to Jesus. Stay fresh. <laughs> Releasing things to Jesus is like a fresh start. When's the last time you had a good cry? I'm talking about one of them deep cries come from your gut. Man, that's the most refreshing thing I, can, I think I can ever do is just have, let it all out, just rah. And then walk away like, whew, I'm a brand new man. Remember this, Jesus wants your junk. So take out the garbage. Number four, live to fight another day. Live to fight another day. So now that you've processed your emotions and your heart is set right, it's time to get going again. Now let me just throw this in there from the side. There are times in this process where the Lord may lead you to go to somebody who's more mature or more qualified to help you. Don't look for qualifications on social media. Can I get a witness? There are times where you do need to step out. The Lord will lead you. He's led me to, to, to folks before. He'll lead you to some other folks to help. That's, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's why you have pastors and elders and then there's counselors and then all kinds of other folks that can help you. I want you to remember that life and death are at stake these days and every minute counts. So get back into the fight. Look at what Paul says right after he asked these questions in verse 1. He says this. 
So, so have you found encouragement? Have you found comfort? Have you found fellowship in the spirit? Is your heart tender and compassionate? If so, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with, in, with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What's the goal? Jesus' attitude. What was Paul trying to change? Their attitude from what it was to becoming the same attitude that Jesus has. Jesus is always our example. He's our example before other men are our example. Amen? Jesus is the example. He's the one we should be uh, becoming more and more like. So, so Paul shifts their focus from themselves back to others. It's the same thing that Jesus did. When they were beating him, spitting on him, insulting him, casting their sins on him, when there was a, a crown of thorns jammed into his head, when they put the nails through his hands and his feet, all that stuff, when they whipped his back and ripped the flesh off of his back, he could have been selfish in those moments. In fact, I think he was tempted to be selfish in the garden. But he dealt with that with the Father. There's an example. And he came out of it, and how did he come out of it? He came out of it with a mission for others. Come on. Some of you haven't discovered this thing that happens in life, in this spiritual life, that when you start to focus on others, something supernatural starts to happen in you. Sometimes you're healed in the process of helping others. But you'll never find that and you'll never discover that if you stay only about you. So the focus needs to shift. I'm going to live to fight another day. Does that mean that life's not going to hit me again? It's going to hit me again tomorrow. And when it hits me again tomorrow, I'm going to get better at processing it out with Jesus. And then I'm going to get more efficient, right? And I'm going to get better at it. And my faith is going to grow in it. And he's going to show me new things. It's a process. It's a growing process. Life hits, I go to Jesus. I process it out, just like we talked about. Life hits, I go to Jesus. We process it out. I come back. I take the next steps that he wants me to take. Then I change my focus back to others. And we keep the kingdom going forward. And we don't stay in the playground with our problems. Because I'd be willing to bet... That there's more people around you going to hell than going to heaven. Ponder that for a minute. I'd be willing to bet there's more people in your circle of influence going to hell than going to heaven. I dare you to find out. I dare you to find out. How many folks that you see on a regular basis are going to hell and how many are going to heaven? I've named a few on my, on my end, in my circle. They're on some cards we've been praying over all week. I'm calling them in. Come on. Life and death is at stake. You see, I'm born again. My name's written in the book. If I get to heaven with a flat tire, praise Jesus. If I get to heaven limping, praise Jesus. 
So I want you to see what Paul said right before this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You see, I, I knocked off early last week so I could take a little extra time this week. <laughs> Always got a plan. <laughs> Just joking, I'm not that smart. Watch what Paul said in Philippians 1, 28 and 30. Some of, some of you are going to have to grab a hold of this verse. There are these verses, and, and they're, going to have to, they're just going to have to become a life verse for you. Because some of you tend to live intimidated. Verse 28, Paul said, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Your fearlessness is a sign to the enemy of your life. Did you heard that? Your fearlessness is a sign to the enemy that he's going to die and you're going to live. I'm not intimidated. Intimidation doesn't mean that my knees ain't shaking. Come on, somebody. Because I've come up against the devil with my knees shaking about to pass out, but I stayed up in the fight. Amen. I'm, I'm not letting him see I'm intimidated. I'm going to walk up there like I'm big and bad. Little does he know. I'm about to faint. <laughs> if he says boo, I might fall, but I ain't going to let him know that. Even by, you'll be saved even by God himself. For you have not been given, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege, the privilege, the privilege of suffering for Christ. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. Not to suffer for bad choices, but to suffer for Christ. Amen? So it's a privilege to trust in him, but it's also a privilege to suffer for him. So don't become a victim because you have to suffer. Victims aren't privileged. <sighs> Verse 30, we are in this struggle together. This is what Paul is saying as he's in prison. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. The next time the enemy tells you you're the only one that's ever felt this way, the only one that's ever dealt with this, you're the only one that's going through something, tell him to shut up because there's a whole lot of others going through pretty similar things. You're not alone. Just that shift right there changes how you feel. Just that shift changes how you respond. Just knowing that I'm not the only one that's ever gone through this. I'm not the only one that's ever been depressed. I'm not the only one that's ever been tormented. I'm not the only one that's ever been sad or angry or bitter. So when life hits you like a Mack truck, what do you do? Are you ready? Do you know what you're going to do? You need to stop dropping paws, and you need to board a plane, and you take out the garbage, and you need to live to fight another day. Don't let the enemy have any more ground than he's supposed to. Don't let the enemy have any more time than he's supposed to. Don't let pain become the story of your life. Don't let disappointment become your banner. Don't let depression become your title. Don't let your problems define you. Let them refine you. 
You've been invited to the Father. This relationship that Jesus died to restore, you've been invited to the Father with all your stuff. I beg you today to run to the Father. I beg you today to sit with Daddy. I beg you today to steal and quiet your soul and watch how he works. You'll be surprised. Lord, we thank you for today. Your promises are always yes and amen. You promised to be with us in the hard times of life. And you have been. And you will be. I believe that. I believe that not just with my head, but I believe that, Lord, with my experiences. My experience says that you're faithful. My experiences say that you're always on time. My experiences say that you're really good at what you do. My experiences say that you love me unconditionally. My experiences say that you can heal every wound. My experiences say that you can sort out anything, no matter how big it is, it's standing in front of me. My experience tells me, Lord, that you still move mountains today. My experience tells me that you're always ready to meet with me. Always ready to sit with me. Always ready to listen. And always ready with a word of life. That's what my experience says, Lord. You do not disappoint. You do not let me down. You see the things I don't see. under your mighty power. Teach us your ways, Jesus. Show us. Grace us. results, new life, new 
you in this moment. I thank you. 